0: Turn, if you would, to Matthew 27, verse 45, where we'll start. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, let me sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink But the others said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook. The rocks were split. The tombs were also opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. They said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women who were there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee, mother of the sons of Zebedee. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered that it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went, and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See? I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them, and he said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took a hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. right here than it is. <laughs> so on Easter we commemorate and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And for us as Christians, this the resurrection of Jesus means everything. It is the central event in universal time and space. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, Jesus, or, uh, as it says in that passage we read earlier in Colossians, Now, he's the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. That little verse helps us to understand what's going on with Easter. Jesus is from death. He's the first from death, so that in everything else, well, in everything, even over death itself, he would be preeminent. That means he would be the highest and the best and the greatest. He would be the hero. If Jesus comes from death, then there's nothing that can stand in his way. He's the greatest of all time. That's the meaning of Easter. So, the Easter story, just like the story of, well, just like every story because of Easter, Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the hero. Jesus is the central figure in everything. In everything, he might be preeminent. So when we read the Easter story about his death and about his resurrection, he is the central focus. He is the protagonist of the story. However, the story we just read, the Easter story, he's the main character for sure, but he's not the only character. There's other people in this story. We read about the people who mocked him while he was on the cross. Who acted like they were going to give him something to drink, but gave him sour wine. We read about uh, the soldiers who were uh, cut to the heart They said, surely this man was the son of God. We read about uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who... It's it's amazing. It says that he's a rich man and he went to go take Jesus and gave him his own tomb. It says that he was a righteous man, which is fascinating because in Matthew, the last time Jesus himself talked about rich people, he said it's harder for a rich man to get through the. uh, It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom. But here we find a rich man uh, giving everything for Jesus and he's called righteous. We have all these other characters. However, none of these characters are as important as Mary Magdalene and the women who are with her. If you get our weekly devotional, we send out in our weekly email. We read about a uh, reflection about Mary and the other women. Their role in this story is striking. If Jesus is the protagonist, and he is, Mary and these women are the that's a new word, word of the day, deuteragonist. That means this is the second most important character in a story. Uh, they're the, supporting, the supporting actor in this story is an actress. It's Mary Magdalene. When we read the story, she is mentioned along with the other women who are with her three different times. Nobody is mentioned in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection Other than Jesus himself, no one is mentioned as much as Mary Magdalene. She is of critical importance. Just like any good story, in order to understand the plot and why it's important, we have to understand the main character. But to understand the main character, we have to understand the supporting characters. Especially if there's a number two. Now here in this story, we find one. Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary Magdalene, it's kind of confusing because there's lots of Marys in the Bible. Uh, Mary was a common name. It's still a common name. And we read here that we have Mary Magdalene. There was somebody called the other Mary. And then there was Mary, Jesus' mom. So who exactly is Mary Magdalene? And how is she different than the other Marys? Well, it says that in verse... Uh, 55. It says, there are many women there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to them. And among whom there was Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So we see here in this passage that Mary is a lady who is from Galilee. That's where Jesus grew up. That's where Jesus spent the early years of his ministry. That was kind of his home base. So Mary was a hometown Uh, at least a hometown area friend of Jesus. She had followed him since the early days. It also says that Mary and the other women had followed him ministering to him. What's fascinating is we don't find uh, stories about any of Jesus' disciples ministering to him except right here, except Mary and the other women. Jesus was the minister, right? He ministered to his... Well, here we see that they ministered to him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that they helped to take care of him. They were the ones who checked on him, who made sure that he was doing all right, They made sure that he ate enough and slept enough. They were his friends. Among Jesus' disciples, we have 12, that we call the 12, and they became the 12 apostles or sent ones. And these were like the, 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 the twelve that Jesus had called out to be the officers in his new organization. These were like elders. But they weren't the only disciples. We talked about this a lot. There was a big group of people, men and women and children, who followed Jesus. And Jesus, unlike other rabbis in his day, did not just include young men among his students... He included young men and old men and women and even children. He was incredibly inclusive, as we would say today. So, Mary is one of these women who have followed Jesus from the beginning. And here, she's mentioned three different times. We find out, if we do a little research on Mary, we find out from Luke chapter 8 or Mark. 16, what's known as the longer ending of Mark, we find out that Mary had a past. It says that she used to be indwelt by seven demons. Now in the New Testament, demon possession is common. We find Jesus going around casting out demons. And Mary. It says, was possessed by seven. And i got to be honest with you, I've studied the Bible my whole life, and I'm a pastor, I'm an ordained minister, and I don't quite know exactly what that means. I know that it's really, 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 really bad. But Jesus had delivered her. So she, her story is, Jesus became the main character of her story early on. There was a before and an after when she met Jesus. And here, when all the other disciples, it says in Matthew, all the other disciples fled, here we see Mary and the other women staying faithful. We see them at the cross. We see them at the tomb. And we see them at the resurrection. Now Mary, just as a a character in Jesus's story would have been highly controversial. And biblical scholars often point out in the New Testament how controversial Jesus's discipleship methods actually were. First of all, it would have been controversial that she was uh, that she's mentioned so many times in the story and especially that she's mentioned as the primary witness of the resurrection. This would have caused a stir among the early readers of the Gospels. In her time and place, in her culture, Mary would have been relatively invisible as a person and as a player in Jesus' story. First of all, she was a woman. And I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, first, the first century ancient Near East world was highly patriarchal, patriarchal. And she would have been considered somewhat of a, well, maybe not somewhat, definitely what, a second class citizen because she was a woman. As a woman, her testimony would not be credible in court, uh, wouldn't be credible, which is fascinating because she's listed here as the primary witness to the resurrection. In fact, all four gospels mention her as a primary witness to the resurrection. But her testimony would not have been credible in court. Second of all, she was a single woman. She was old enough to be married, and she was not, which would have caused not just attention and maybe controversy that Jesus had a friendship with this single lady. In fact, there are fringe schools of thought that maybe speculate that Jesus and Mary were together. That's not the case. That's sort of a fringe idea. But just the presence of that idea among us says something about, even today we look and say, oh, surely there's something up with this single lady around Jesus all the time who's so close to him, even more in her own day. She would have been considered an invisible character in his story. Second, she would have been dismissed. She had no cultural religious authority in first century Judaism. First of all, rabbis in Jesus' day weren't supposed to call women to be their disciples. But Jesus does. She would have been dismissed by other rabbis. She was dismissed by the temple system. In in the second temple, when Jesus is walking around Know, the Holy Land and, 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 and these days the temple that was there was not the temple Solomon built that had been destroyed by the Babylonians this is the second temple that was built uh, that, that Herod was renovating and it's the second temple of Judaism women were not allowed to go as far into the temple as men were there were different courts the first courtyard you walked into was called the court of the Gentiles anybody can go there that's the court that Jesus went into and they were selling a bunch of stuff and he starts flipping tables and he says, no, this is going to be my father's house. This is, this is my house. This is going to be a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. All people can go in that first court. The second court was called the court of women because that's as far as women could go. The next court was called the court of Israel, but it wasn't for all of Israel. It was only for the men. And then the next court after that was only for the priests. And the next court after that, the Holy of Holies was only for one priest once a year. So in Second Temple Judaism, she couldn't be a priest. She couldn't be a Levite. She couldn't be a Pharisee or a Sadducee or a scribe. She couldn't even go all the way into the temple. And in this culture, normally the husband or the dad would go in on behalf of their family and she has none. She's an outsider. She would have been invisible. She would have been dismissed. And last, in her own time, her testimony would have been silenced. Not credible in court. She's a woman with a past. She had a reputation. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that because she was possessed by seven demons, it's very likely that she would have been known as crazy. Crazy. And even in our own culture, we we'll place replace such, uh, such emphasis. And we try so hard to be inclusive and to listen to other people and give people the benefit of the doubt. We still today in our culture have a thing where some women, we just think, oh, you know, she's just she's a little crazy. And it's not okay that we do that. We all know that. But back then, in an established, official, ceremonial, and religiously patriarchal, since patriarchal society, even more so, she would have had zero credibility. Invisible, dismissed, silenced, Mary. But when we read this story in Matthew's gospel, or in every single one of the four gospels, we don't find... A Mary Magdalene who is invisible. We find a Mary Magdalene who is very much seen. Says that in chapter 20, previous chapter, it says that all the disciples fled from Jesus in the garden. Which is strange because in the next chapter where we read here, verse 55, at the cross, there's Mary. And then in verse 61, at the burial... There's Mary. And then in chapter 28, verse 1 at the resurrection, there's Mary. And she sees the angel who rolled back the stone. He speaks directly to her. And then Jesus shows up and speaks directly to her before he goes to the 12th. In the book of John, we get a little more detail on that story. She didn't recognize Jesus at first. She says she thought he was the gardener. And that makes complete sense because she was in deep grief. She was in mourning. She's not looking at people in the eye. She, and so she doesn't recognize him at first. And then he, she recognizes him when he says her name, Mary. And this story, this is not an invisible woman, She's very much seen. In this story, she's not dismissed. She's accepted. It says that in, in 28.9, it says that she and the other women, it says she came up, she took a hold of his feet, and she worshipped him. That's a really important sentence. It says she came up. In the original Greek, you know what that means? That means she came right up to him. And then it says, she took a hold of his feet. She, now remember, hierarchical patriarchy going on here. And she's a single woman. She grabs a hold of Jesus' feet. That's personal. That's like, that's like at least friend zone. But that's, that's pretty, grabs a hold of his feet. Now, It's also interesting because we know from other parts of the Gospels that when Jesus was resurrected, he still had scars. So she's grabbing a hold of his nail-scarred feet. And then she worshipped him. That word that's used for worship, it means to prostrate oneself, to bow down. Which makes sense because she would have to get low to grab a hold of his feet. Now, get this. Part of why Jesus, people were so mad at him and wanted to crucify him. Part of the charges that were brought against him. And we read it earlier in the passage. Is that he had said that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now the authorities misquoted and misunderstood that. But Jesus did say it. And what Jesus meant by that is he's going to tear down this old temple system. And reestablish the temple as his new resurrected embodied presence in the world. Jesus is the new temple. So here's the resurrected Jesus, having on Passover as the Lamb of God made atonement for sins. Where is God in the world in this moment? He is in, he is the person of Jesus Christ standing there in the garden, risen from the dead, having reconciled. Uh, the world to himself through the cross. He's victorious. This is the moment. He's the new temple. And here comes Mary. She approaches him. She doesn't have to stop at a distance like in an old temple. She grabs a hold of him. She didn't get to grab a hold of the lambs that were sacrificed before, that was in the inner intercourse. That wasn't for her. And then she worships him. Here we see Mary Magdalene given full access to the living God in worship. Something that she did not have before in a physical way. Full access. The curtain when Jesus died was torn in two to bring people to God. So she's seen, she's accepted, and last and most incredibly, she was sent. Jesus, at first the angel says, go tell the twelve, go tell the guys. And then Jesus himself says to her, go and tell my brothers. And tell them I will meet them in Galilee. Now remember, her testimony is not credible in court. She's not an upstanding, seen, recognized person in the community. But who does Jesus pick? to to be the first one to deliver the most important news in the history of everything. He fixed Mary. And who does she deliver it to? To the officers of his new church. We just spent nine weeks talking about how Jesus commissioned the twelve to be the official officers, messengers, representatives of the church and how he had sent them to the whole world. And That's why we're doing what we're doing today. He chose Mary before them to bring the message to them. This is why in the twelfth century Saint Thomas Aquinas, one of the greatest Orthodox scholars in church history, you know what he called Mary Magdalene? His name for her was Apostle to the Apostles. Apostle means sit one. Who's the apostle to the apostles? It's Mary. It's incredible. Her story is controversial. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. It's like what... It reminds me of what it says in First Peter about people who are in Christ, about the people of God. It says it says this, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of <coughs> darkness And into his light. In her time, Mary was not respected among a male-dominated community. She was not given access to the religious system in the same way others were. She could not hold office, if you will. She was distanced. But in Christ, Mary is a priest. Mary is sent as an apostle to the apostles. In Christ, everything has changed for her. And she's the number two character in the story. Which means that when Matthew framed this, he wanted to make sure that we can't celebrate the resurrection without celebrating Mary. We can't understand what Jesus did for the world without understanding what Jesus did for her. Which brings us to the big idea of Mary's whole story here in the New Testament. And it's this. Mary is us. Mary is us. We see in Mary's story, this follower, this disciple of Jesus, this wonderful hero of a woman in the Bible. We see in her story all of our stories. So... Men, you want to know what it looks like to experience Jesus and follow him? It looks like Mary. Women, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and be changed by him? It looks like Mary. Kids, you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus and be changed by him? It looks like Mary. Mary's story is is an example. It's a miniature, if you will, of our story. And what God has for her in Christ, he has for all of us. We read earlier in Colossians that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God exalted Jesus above all people and things. God made Jesus preeminent. And then he forgave sins. Jesus was, Jesus died for our sins and raised for our justification, as it says in Romans, to bring peace and cleanliness and reconciliation to sinners. But also in Jesus' death and resurrection, as we read in Colossians, our shame is removed. Do you know the difference between sin and shame? Sin says, or guilt and shame, guilt is, there's something wrong with what I did. Shame is, there's something wrong with me. And at the cross, God forgives what you did. And then He takes you and me filled with shame because of our sin and exalts us to the place Jesus is. Brings us near. Raises us to where He is. Where is Jesus? Over everything. He lifts us up. And we see in Mary someone who was in bondage to evil. Evil in her own heart. Evil outside of her that was oppressing her. And evil that was part of the society in which she lived. We see in Mary someone who was bound with shame. Partly because of the culture, partly because of her experiences, and partly because of other things because she was a human being just like us and we all struggle with it. But we see that in her union with Christ in this story, her sin is removed. Her shame is removed by her participation in his death and burial resurrection. She is made someone completely new. So, on Easter, we can't celebrate Jesus' story without celebrating Mary's story, which means we can't celebrate any of this without realizing that everything that Jesus is for the world, because of His resurrection, preeminent, over everything, He is for you and he is for me. And you know how we know that? Because of his friend Mary. So, if we hear Mary's story and we find ourselves asking, what about me? Well, if Mary was here today, you know what she would tell you? She would say, what about Jesus? Because as beautiful and as wonderful as Mary is in this story, everything that she is, is all about Jesus. So I want to invite us to celebrate that here in the time we have left. To look at Mary to see ourselves. And then to join her with all of our hearts. At his feet, he has given us access to God. He has called us to worship. He has invited us to, like she touched the nail pierced feet, to take a hold of him. So the question is, uh, do you know what that is for you? Are you looking to him? Have you come near to him? Have you reached out to take a hold of him in your heart? And do you know what it is to worship him without your sin or without your shame or without your status or without your history standing in between you and the living God who became a human being to beat death and to be raised to a place of preeminence so that you can join him. Let's pray.